Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Chuva Center. Thank you for joining us. Um, we have with us today as a guest, Melissa, uh, who is a teacher, um, but so much more. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Rabbi Iggy. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So for people who are introduced to you for the first time, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Melissa Armstrong. I live in Canada. So for many years, I lived in Toronto. And now I'm having the opposite experience. My family and I moved to the woods. So I live in the middle of nowhere, which is pretty awesome, actually. And I spend my time as a developmental coach and mindfulness teacher. So at its most basic level, you could say that I help people relate better to themselves and relate better to one another. Um, and so I use a bunch of different modalities in my coaching work. I love working with people who are in recovery from addictions because I too am in recovery. I've been sober since uh, March of 2014. So I feel um, just, you know, a real sense of connection with people in recovery. And I feel like our development is just a lifelong journey. You know, there's always more to discover, more to deepen in ourselves so that we can be of greater service in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we, we've, we've had here uh, a whole bunch of sort of mindfulness people and, and it's something that I'm um, constantly inspired by and it's part of my own practice and, mm. um, and, and all that, um, which is why I, sort of, I keep going back to it. But what, one of the fascinating elements, I think, especially for people who are in recovery is sort of the benefit of, of mindfulness uh, mm. along with AA or instead of AA or with a, whatever it is, right? Because I think that for so many people, there is a path of recovery that is very, um, I don't want to say standard, but there's a very sort of like clear path of recovery, right? 90 days, and 90 meetings in 90 mm -hmm. days, big book meetings, you know, so forth and so on. But, but there's so much more um, for, both pe for both people who want more, but also people where, let's say, AA is not exactly working for them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. I think of... Um, one of the things we talk about in coaching a lot is waking up and growing up. So our psychological mm. development, our spiritual growth. And there are, you know, those traditional paths of recovery out there, 12 step being one, I definitely took advantage of the 12 steps. Um, AA really helped me, you know, at a foundational level in recovery. And, you know, part of me was looking for more, like what else is out there, you know? And so I don't think we can expect 12 step to address all parts of our lives. And that's okay. You know, it has its place. Um, but I was just really aware in the first few months of recovery, like I need some help, you know, there's now I don't have my coping mechanisms of alcohol. And I just felt like this vulnerable and, you know, I felt like I was riding an emotional roller coaster day in and day out. And sometimes I feel amazing and awesome. And then sometimes I just be like plunged into the depths of darkness. And so 
I knew I needed, like I really was drawn towards meditation, mindfulness practice. I really use those words kind of interchangeably, but I felt like being, you know, finding a meditation practice um, was going to be something that was really core for me. And it really helped me so much to create a sense of spaciousness in my life. You know, like I had the ability to just sit with whatever's coming up, um, especially because if I could share a little bit about like the the first day of recovery, sort of what got me into recovery, you know, I think it's different for everyone. But I remember the last day that I drank, the next day I woke up and I was just so overcome with this feeling of shame. And I'd had shame for a long time from, you know, all the things that I'd done. I was aware of um, the, all the negative effects of my drinking and still, right, it continued. But the, that day was different because I had such a crushing feeling of shame over my drinking that day. And I was like, I can't imagine living like this for the rest of my life. Like, it was like Groundhog Day, just same shame every day. But it was so profound that day. And honestly, that feeling, wanting to get away from that feeling um, was huge. It was like, that was the catalyst for me. So that was the first day of my recovery. And so definitely AA helped, but meditation, therapy, learning emotional processing, all of those things really helped me to work through those like big, heavy emotions, you know? Hmm. Did you have, um, uh, meditation and practice in your life before, um, before you sort of stopped drinking or this was something you discovered or experienced after? It was something I experienced after. Now, when I was a little girl, I went to church and, you know, I've always been a seeker, always sort of seeking, um, you know, why are we here? Is God out there? Is God in here? There's some kind of mystical connection. Like I always felt that sense from really the time I was very small. Um, but drinking really got in the way of having that connection, you know, so those like mm-hmm. last many years of drinking, I didn't really have any spiritual practice, any meditative practice it was really something I found nurtured, developed, you know, in my journey of sobriety. I often uh, find, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I often find that actually that word comes up again of, over and over again with people on this podcast, but in general with people in recovery, which is the seeking part, mm. the spirituality seeking part. And when that's not found or when that's some, there's some kind of disconnect, then a lot of the times the addiction comes in and mm. and feels it right so like in fact right as an alcoholic i think you probably appreciate this sort of this the stick right the sort of that when you reach for the gym being bottle on the on the right on the shelf on the bottle it says distilled spirits yes. like you're sick you're yeah. seeking the spirit right yes. but we fill it out we fill it with with alcohol until it right and it sort of numbs that pain of not being able to find what we seek which is what right, the connection the spirituality thing and then but then that comes to what you said right, right now. So like once you take away the alcohol, then there is a hole, right? There's a void there, mm-hmm. right? That now needs to somehow be filled. Um, and we constantly talk about filling it with spiritual matter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and in, in that case, in your case, right? Meditation, mindfulness, mm-hmm. you know, practices of of uh, the inner work. Um, but I would say even more, it, it ha- something has to fill that space, if we don't fill that space, it will fail with some kind of other either addiction or maladjustment. Yes, totally. And, you know, when I look back, 
especially those last few years of drinking, I was totally in this pattern of drinking to blackout. Like I wanted to just eliminate any bad right. feeling, shut out the world. So there, it is like trying to transcend something, transcend the self, right? It's just doing it in a really right. maladaptive way. So it's like trying to get rid of the self, but also really harming the self. Right. Whereas spiritual practice does allow us to have a transcendent experience, but one that is more supportive or more magical or more... Um, is not making the self a problem, right? It's like we can include right. the self in it rather than have to um, black it out, I guess. Yeah, so I'm with you on right. that for sure. One of the things is sort of that that uh, sort of appears in your bio and fascinates me both personally uh, in my own life, but definitely in general, is that you, you reference and talk uh, a fair amount about um, the darkness, right transforming mm -hmm. the darkness the trauma mm -hmm. um and i feel so many uh people including um some mindfulness and <laughs> coaches mm -hmm. right because i think mm -hmm. like i mean uh, on a small little tirade like i feel all of a sudden everybody's a mindfulness coach and i'm like no yeah. i mean right yeah. right so but but we'll put that aside for a second <laughs> that um the um the, the sort of the those people who 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 what i call spiritual bypassing right mm -hmm. so like who who want to like bring love and light and compassion which is great mm -hmm. but but you very unabashedly talk about sort of the darkness and the trauma things and and i think that's so important especially for people with with addiction and people in recovery yes totally i mean I am, I, you know, appreciate the people of the world who are like love and light. We need those people. I'm just not that person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, give me the darkness. Let's talk more about all of the, you know, let's get it unstuck. Like let's excavate it. And that's like a lifelong journey as well, you know? So I think that um, we just can have a lot of, we do have a lot of shadow parts of ourselves that need to be liberated that have just been stuffed down we've developed coping mechanisms strategies and that you know I was never gonna be able to get with recovery that was just like love yourself <laughs> you know I would hear that and be like love myself like gross and then I'm like oh my god like that's kind of a weird <laughs> reaction but I, and so that one of the ways I sort of will talk about the work I do, and sometimes I'm like, do people get this? But the work I do in recovery, I'm like, I can help you hate yourself less, like yourself more. And honestly, in the people that I work with, I do like one-on-one -on -one coaching and group coaching with people in recovery. We talk about this a lot and it really seems to resonate. And it's a process, right? So I want to help people um, integrate those shadowy aspects of the self, right? See them, be in a dialogue with them, integrate them over time. And I really believe we can get to a place where we are much friendlier towards ourselves, you know, nicer. I would say I'm really nice to myself. In many ways, I think I love myself, but I'm not out there like, I love myself, you know, morning, noon, and night. It's right. It's a journey. And I just feel like for me, that's more real and that work of you know like diving into the the dark side the struggle the trauma 
it takes a long time, you know, we have to be ready for it. Um, you know, so yeah, like, give me the darkness, baby. That's what I'm about. <laughs> you know, um, it's, um, it reminds me right, that 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 when we really talk about life and we really talk about our existence that that as you said yes there's the love and light people which is great but like true love if you will or true relationship through that love is right uh sometimes i, I always feel i always feel that sort of partnership there's right there's sometimes i love you so much we're like right i can't get enough of you right mm-hmm. so like like you know please don't don't move anywhere right from from my vicinity and there's sometimes and that's the same part of love is sort of like get the fuck away from me don't breathe on me like go somewhere else yeah. right it's, it's sort of yeah. like right that, that sort of that any partnership any love right this is true for my children this is true for yeah. partners this is true yeah. right that yeah. that and we have to acknowledge both both these parts right and if our mindfulness and meditation and relationship with both the self and and the world is not that then it's um, I don't know. It's it's kind of l- sort of like tilting to one side too much. Totally. You know, I remember reading, um, you know, the poet and writer Gary Snyder. He was like a beat poet and I think yes, a, Zen, yes, 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 a Zen yes. student. I remember reading um, a collection of his essays. I can't remember which book, but one of the essays was about being in a Zen retreat in a monastery. And so it's pretty the schedule is really hardcore, right? Like you're not sleeping very much, doing a lot of work. And so he just talked about sort of the brutality of that. And then on the last day, they all sat and drank tea and kind of just chilled out with the Zen master. And the last line of that essay is compassion takes many forms. And I always think about that because sometimes compassion is very fierce. Sometimes it is, Mm -hmm. can feel brutal. It's really direct versus, yummy and warm right so it's it's very multi-dimensional love compassion um yeah right it's not just love and light it's like loving right. darkness as well right you know it's funny because you're you're the first person um in a while where i spoke to you about sort of mindfulness and 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 meditation and and using a word like brutality because I do think that sort of that it can be very brutal, right? A lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to listen to some like, you know, temple music and meditate and everything will be fine. And like, I'm going to clear my head and blah, 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 blah. Right. But the Buddha said that the mind, right, is, is, has the strength of a thousand wild horses, right? Sort of like yeah. that sort of the, the yeah. that, right. And, and that, and it's, I think it's important for people to, to know right that sometimes the mindfulness the meditation is hard and not just it's oh it's hard to do but it, that it is painful right it's not mm-hmm. just like breathe light into where the pain is i mean there's that but then there's mm-hmm. also like like this is painful and and like you say and brutal and sharp and yeah. and unyielding yeah and like it can be startling when we sit right. and you're like wait, that's in there, right? It's like, oh, I'm not right. creating some like angry story. And it's like, oh, there's some pretty deep stuff in there, you know? And that's where, of course, being able to have someone to speak to, whether it's a guide or a therapist or someone, right, who can help us process that can be really important because it can be a little scary, you know? And I think 
generally, most of us didn't grow up with, you know, a lot of emotional intelligence tools or the ability to name our emotions, let alone go deeply into the darker side. So, um, yeah, so a lot can come up for us in our practice. And sometimes we can just sit and allow it to move through. Sometimes we need to just pause. Sometimes we need to find someone to process it with. But I think one of the things that is like one of the lessons I just learn all the time and then I learn it again is especially speaking with elders who are either, you know, elders in AA or elders who are teachers is that development, all of our development is cyclical. So we can think, I've worked on that thing and then it comes back in another form, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I even noticed that with my own anxiety, which I feel is really healed in many ways. Like fundamentally, I feel okay. Like I know no matter what happens, I'm okay. But then my anxiety will pop up and I'm like, why is this still here? And then if I speak to a... Anxiety's like, oh yeah, let me show you now. (laughs) You're like, like, really? You know, and then people will... Like, oh, you think, huh? Yeah. And, And I'm like, come on. And then I said to somebody the other day, like... How much do I have to meditate before this stops happening? And he was like, well, you're not meditating to make your anxiety go away. And I was like, I kind of am, but I'm not, but I am, you know? So like, I think it's just really important to, to, to know that and to just give ourselves radical permission to just be with whatever's coming up. It's okay that it's there. We can allow it to be there. It's probably going to come up time and time again in a new form. Um, but you're going to get better at handling it, you know, if you practice. Right. I think that's a very important point. And I think especially for people in recovery, because so many of us want and think that there is what we will call it there, there, right? So like, oh, that's it. I've yeah. dealt with this trauma. Oh, okay. I've done, I've, I've, you know, I've done, I've dealt with my, I don't know, abuse. Like, So now I can move on to the next thing. And, and, and I think it's so important as you raise it, that it is cyclical, right? Sort of that they will always come back in a different way. You just need, you are just ever so more prepared the next time have, you know, have mm-hmm. one more tool perhaps to deal with it. And it, and it's, and there is no there, there. Right? Right? Yeah. You know, right? and, and even, no... yeah, I'm imagine. I was imagining as you were saying that, like, I'll turn the next corner and there'll be like people with a finish line being like, you made it, Melissa. That's right. You were kidding this whole time. There is a finish. And it's like, I know there isn't one. And it's also totally okay. Like your, your life is the path you're on and you'll just always be walking it. Um, and there's ways to find relief and things do get so much better in recovery. Um, but we're not exempt. No one is exempt from suffering. You know, it's just mm. like, what, what do we do with it when it shows up, I guess, is really the right. work. Yeah. Right. And to expect it, right? It's not just nobody's exempt. It's like, you will have it no matter what, no matter how enlightened you are, no matter how much you've meditated, mm. no matter how you, right? No matter how much, how further away from the city you moved into the beautiful <laughs> nature, yeah. right? It's still there. Right? Yep. Yes, it is. You're like, no, there's no problems here in the woods. No, there's still, you know, it's like you still show up everywhere with your same stuff. Um, yeah. And there's wherever always, you go, there you are. There you are. And and that's what makes life interesting, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that this work that we do on ourselves um, is totally connected to the collective. Like, it's not self-indulgent to do your own healing, to do your own work, because then it's, you know, all the 
trauma patterns that we see in the world like are coming from us, right? So um, we do the work on ourselves to be able to better support others to be able to create change in the world. Um, And what I've learned so far in these last seven years is it's just ongoing. Yeah. Um, So how do you, I guess, how do you, what do you say to, to the addicts who are, need to, to face their, their darkness, need to face their trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So like that sort of, how do you, um, how do you want communicate to like what needs to be done? And you've said something uh, just now that sort of that, that I like because, um, it appears in a few different things we talk about, which is sort of that you said radical permission, mm-hmm. um, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, so, 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 I guess it's two questions. One, how's that look like? What is radical permission for you? Yeah. Um, and also, how do you sort of like then approach the sort of that darkness within us? Yeah. Yes. So, permission. This word has just been up for me for about the last year. So. No one needs my permission to change, of course, but I feel like we can give ourselves permission to just fully be where we are, you know? So I think what can often happen, and just I've done so much coaching that, you know, I talk to people all the time. I just notice patterns where we can notice where we are in life, right? So say we have a struggle, a challenge, we just notice where we are. So one, we're noticing it, but two, we're making it a problem or like we're judging ourselves, judgment comes up so often the inner critic right why do i have to be like this why do i have to be at this place in life so i often this pattern is just presenting itself i find in conversations that i'm having with people so i try to really highlight if i'm noticing it like checking that out do you you, do you notice you're noticing where you are you're judging it so we try to kind of unpack the judgment so it's like wherever you are you don't have to make it a problem. You don't have to make it bad. Just give yourself permission to be where you are because that's more relaxing. That's more a place where we can just sort of look at ourselves, just kind of assess the scene, you know? So I think that sort of pointing that out to people seems to be impactful a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I found, um, you know, if we just use the theme of my anxiety, you know, it's even come up already. It's like, Oh, I'm really good at noticing it versus being in a cloud of overwhelm. Oh, I notice I'm anxious, but then still sometimes I'll make it a problem. So it's like I try to be friendlier. The anxiety is permission to be here, right? So that's kind of what I think about the permission piece. And then the way that I help people with their darkness, I kind of pull in a couple different modalities. One is around storytelling. So lots of different, you know, paths of recovery will do this. Like going back and kind of looking at where have I been? How did I get here? Right? Like what's the storyline? Cause it can be so much chaos that we kind of don't fully make sense of things. So sort of looking at the story, the journey we've been on as a piece. And then um, I study Zen. My Zen teacher is Genpo Roshi and he's created this modality called the big mind process. And so I do this work with people where we um, will speak to different aspects of the self. So say the one who controls or maybe the one who's addicted. And we sort of look at how owned or disowned that voice, right? There's many, many different aspects of the self, but we can look at those pieces and sort of talk with them try to integrate them in. And so we do that piece along with touching in with 
just direct awareness or the transcendent side. So the big mind process helps us to become more aware of and integrate different aspects of the self, as well as touching with the transcendent. That helps us to become really more flexible as human beings, right? We're able to take on more perspective. So we become more adaptable, less stuck. And so, you know, a lot of spiritual traditions will be like, we just want to get rid of the self. We want to just hang out in the absolute where everything is peace and love. But that's very partial, right? That's very bypassy. So integrating the self as well as holding awareness, being able to move fluidly between the two is really great work. It's really powerful. And so in that's one of the ways that I love to use or that I love to work with people. I still study that process on an ongoing basis. There's so much to learn there, but um, I think people can feel it, you know, feel, um, have a new experience. So, yeah. Do you, do you find that some, that people, um, are too afraid to go to the darkness? They don't want to, right? Cause, cause right. There's a certain aspect of not wanting to relive the trauma or, mm -hmm. or the darkness, right. The sort mm -hmm. of, or, or fear of getting lost within it. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's, it is painful, um, to mm -hmm. so do you because right? So, I, I find sometimes people just want to put it in a like in a locked box. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, when I'm stronger, I'll deal with it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, it just stays in that locked box, yes, very true. Well, I would always say to anyone who sort of has that perspective, trust yourself, like trust yourself and know what you need at this point in your journey. So, you know, I'm not here to poke in around someone's darkness if they're not here to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? And like mm -hmm. that sort of poking around the poking around in the darkness can take years. Like it's not going to mm -hmm. necessarily happen overnight. So definitely I want to create a space that's supportive, spacious, you know, has that permission in it and let people kind of come in and let people tell me what they're ready for, you know? You don't want to just completely rip the Band-Aid off. So I think people need to trust themselves and, you know, always sort of be aware of, like, maybe I can step in and look a little bit and then come back to safety, right? You know, right. through meditative practice, mindfulness practice, we can create a state of calm so we can find ways to create safety in the body. So it's not just about um, taking the plunge with, you know, no sort of parameters either. Mm -hmm. When you, um, I guess my question is like, how do you know, how does a person know if let's say sort of mindfulness is for them or meditation is for them or this kind of work is for them. Mm -hmm. Like what do they need to, or, or I guess the question, do they need to ask themselves something ahead of time as they go into this work? Can they, can they just dabble with curiosity into it? Right. Sort of mm -hmm. um, um, what should people consider when they're thinking about this? Well, I think that, you know, there's many stages and phases on the journey of recovery. So if we're 
three months sober, we might have a whole different set of needs than when we're, you know, mm -hmm. one year, five year, 10 years, of course. So I think that looking at the different aspects of our life can kind of be an indicator of like, what are the life practices I need to build in? Like, if I look at my inner world, my thoughts, emotions, you know, how am I taking care of that? That might be where meditation comes in. When I look at the behaviors I'm enacting in the world, is there anything I can do around that? My relationships and my structures or systems of um, support, you know, like your job, your finances, et cetera. So what we need in those quadrants will vary over time. Generally, I think if one has a curiosity around mindfulness or meditation, as we know, there's like a bazillion forms of meditation out there and there's so many apps. So there's a lot of ways to sort of dabble and figure out, um, you know, just to figure out like what are the styles or traditions that might resonate for you. But what I think like one of the ways of checking in with yourself is like, how are you living? How are you feeling? Right? Like if you kind of do a little self-assessment, where are you? What do you need? How are you taking care of your inner world? Um, because in a most basic way, meditation can help us calm and soothe the nervous system, which is just really core to being less stressed, to being less anxious, to be able to do deeper work as we're talking about. Um, so just thinking of those things as skill building, like not everyone likes to think of mindfulness as building a set of skills, but that is in fact what it is, right? To an mm -hmm. extent. So it's, you know, I like to think about magic and magic is mm -hmm. really the ability to change consciousness at will. So, you know, mm -hmm. you can create a state of calm. You can create a state of joy. You know, you can create different states through training your mindfulness skills and that's pretty cool. Those things are like kind of like core life practices, I think, that can increase your overall, overall fulfillment. Um, so yeah, kind of just looking yeah. in what, where, how am I living? What would other people say about how I'm showing up in relationship with them? You know, those can mm. be some signs. I, I love that. I think, I mean, I, I, I often talk about leaving room for magic in one's world, but um, so, so, so I really love that. But, I, but, but then it sounds like, right, that sort of that in that sense, everybody should be practicing mindfulness, right? So that the ideal state for is for everybody to to learn those tools of mindfulness and abilities to create joy, to create more contentment, to find a path for a life of fulfillment. No? I mean, I have to agree. And, you know, I don't like to tell people what to do because I don't like to be told what to do, but I just... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Say that again. Oh, I... Oh, say that again. I agree with you because hmm. um, I feel like I don't like to tell people what to do. Like, you must do this one thing. Everyone must... Right. But I do really feel that having some kind of practice around mindfulness meditation just helps you get more clarity, more spaciousness. Um, it's just a point, a departure point for life in many ways, right? It's like, ah, I can create this feeling in myself and, you know, that I'm better able to move in the world. I think sometimes people have resistance to it because if you think about, you know, stereotypes about meditation, it's like, oh, just sitting quietly on a cushion. And many people, as we know, are like, I can't sit still. I'm not going to sit quietly with my eyes closed. But you can 
do the practice in motion, you can mm -hmm. move, right? Just mm -hmm. moving deliberately, moving slowly or quietly or looking around you, right? Dancing. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. maybe the stereotype you hold in your mind. It's just like cultivating some time with yourself. Right. I think that's really important because I think a lot of people do think the sort of that meditation mindfulness happens on the cushion. Mm -hmm. But but what I find is sort of most of my mindfulness practices happen off the cushion. Mm -hmm. Right. In in fact, right, I would say if, if it's a hundred percent, right, my the cushion is 20, 25% of my practice. Everything else happens off it. Yeah, it's really cool when you start to get that feedback on your practice, like you see how your life is changing, or your world is changing, or the way you see things is changing, you know. So I think it can be great to point that out to folks, like, look for um, signs in your life about how the practice is working, right? Because there might be lots of different ones. Um, but yeah, it's not just about those um, minutes you're sitting quietly on your cushion, although those can be nice, right? It's like yes, they absolutely. actually um, translate into something in the world. And that's optimal. Right. That's pretty good. Right. No, I, I often refer to them as the anchor points, mm -hmm. right? That I need those whatever. I need those 20 minutes of silence on the cushion so that I can sort of like re-anchor myself so that when I leave the cushion, there's always a, a path back, yeah. right? Sort of that it needs to be sort of there because otherwise you just adrift. Yes, totally, totally. You know, I love that. Like there's a path back. And, you know, it makes me think um, like mindfulness has really helped me decrease my reactivity. One of the examples mm -hmm. I'll often give people is like, I know we're kind of in this pandemic time, we're coming out of it. So this may be not a great example for right now, but something that would always make me crazy is if I'd be standing in line at the store and someone would come stand like right behind me. I'm right. like, I need some personal space. So I'd like step forward and then they'd step forward, you know, that person. Right. And I used to just notice like it would, I've never yell at people. I'm not really the person to sort of start a thing in public, but I get so activated. I'd be screaming in my head like, what is this person? Saying? How do they not know? So mindfulness has really helped me get to see that as opposed to just being like this cloud of emotions. Like, right. oh, I'm having some feelings <laughs> in my body. <laughs> I have a lot of reactivity. So it's like just catching on to that inner world, inner experience for me has been really helpful in terms of my own development. Right. I, you know, it's funny because I think as you say that if I was like, uh, I always have feelings. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, but, but I think, but I think it's so true for people in recovery or people who are suffering from addiction. Um, I've always found that it is, as you said, secrets, but also, the majority of people I've worked with in terms of their recovery process are people who are, for lack of a better term, would say I would say are hypersensitive. Yeah. People who are, have a lot of feelings and 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 large feelings about a lot of things, yes. right? They're right, and and I think that sometimes that profile of people are people who find addiction because it's it's too much. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a lot, especially as, as kids and teenagers, right? The sort of, you're having huge feelings, much larger than your body and you don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And the alcohol, the drugs, the gambling, the shopping, the sex, yeah. 
um, helps quiet it down. And you think, oh, this is this is good. This is working. Totally. I really agree with that profile generally of, you know, people, people with addictions tend to be very sensitive, hold a lot of big feelings. Totally. You know, I'm always reassured when I go to a recovery meeting and one of the topics is fear and people talk about their fear. Like it's Mm -hmm. so helpful for me to hear people talk about you know, you can have many years of recovery. Oh, the fear still comes up. Like hearing people speak about their big emotions. Um, I, I'm i like, thank you. I need that. I need that mirror. I need that reassurance that other people have that. So I totally agree with you. And I think that maybe with mindfulness, it's like my example of the lineup. It's like, I was having the big feelings before, maybe still having them now, but it's like, maybe they don't spill out or I can let them get processed as opposed to Right. being stuck with them, you know, or like feeling annihilated by them sometimes. Right. And I would say sometimes, um, so I'm a bit of an empath, but sometimes I can, they're kind of like the feelings are there, but when somebody's, again, I'm not woo-woo, <laughs> people know that, but like when their aura touches mine, all of a sudden, right, like that kind of pushes my feeling into so it's like a balloon right so it kind of pushes them into one space and all of a sudden i'm, fe- I'm having all these feelings because part of you i'm also i'm also feeling their feelings mm-hmm. right and that for me when i was definitely when i was growing up was too much i would walk in the room and feel everybody's feelings like everyone's oh yeah you just see it you feel it you know what is happening in the room like at a deep level right yeah yeah. Yeah. How do you find now? Like I'm, I'm always in this question of how to have my experience, let other people have their experience without carrying it away with me. I'm curious, like, what do you do with it now? Um, so I have this inner technique um, where I, um, I color them. Mm. So when I encounter, when I go to people and I start to feel feelings, I, 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 ha- I give them a color in, in my sort of spiritual, yeah. psycho, emotional thing. So, right. So, you know, like person A would be purple, person B would be blue, person B would be yellow. And, and that helps me sort of like see it, right. Feel it, right. All of a sudden, um, right. But when you find mindfulness sort of, uh, sometimes referred to as contours yeah. right sort of the, the the contours of each person and that helps me navigate it because then i can sort of see where it is and and i don't because mine is always a different color right yeah. <laughs> mine is always black but <laughs> mine's a different color right i i can see the the intersections and then i know how to push and pull and make sure there's this sort of space i love that that's awesome i'm gonna take that one from you absolutely absolutely yeah. because i think it's so important especially for people like us who do uh help uh care for other people to um to not just identify theirs and identify ours but to make sure that that i don't i don't mix them up right sort of mm-hmm. like what psychology will call transference and mm-hmm. counter-transference or whatever mm-hmm. but for me spiritually it's about how to acknowledge sort of the the presence of the other person's sort of consciousness around me. Yes, totally. And it's so amazing to me how, um, how much can get, 
we can start to hold in our bodies, you know, it won't mm -hmm. be like obvious for me, oh, I'm talking to this person and coaching about this thing. And then I'm obviously carrying it away. It'd be like later, right? Mm -hmm. It's the practice of what am I holding in my body? Like the body is mm -hmm. so amazing in terms of the information it stores and what I hold on to. So I try to be really deliberate. And sometimes I totally don't remember to do this. And I'm like, why don't I feel good? Oh, yeah, no, maybe this is other people's stuff. But I try to work on just clearing it, releasing it, you know, because My sometimes I'll find like, oh, I have this physical pain. There's no explanation for it other than I'm just doing a lot of work with others and I'm I'm taking it on. Right. So um, helping while also letting everyone be on their own journey is something I tell myself a lot. Everyone's on their own journey. You know, I don't right. have to get too drawn in, in a way that, that I'm carrying it. Right. And to say, right. The sort of that, that I, I welcome sometimes those feelings, right. I welcome feeling in my body after, right. Because that's part of the connection, right. So that my goal is not to always be separate. My goal is for the actually right for those colors to kind of blend, to create a new color. And then I'm able to sort of kind of, kind of move it away but like i want to feel heavy in my heart when somebody talks about their pain i want to feel right like tingling in my arms when something is really activating right i i, I that for me is the connection right and as yeah. we talk about all the time from you hari right that the opposite of addiction is connection yeah totally right so it's not like having these like severe boundaries where you're like stay away from me at all times right it, there right. is that sort of fluidity between us and right. then it's like uh can i just release some of this into the earth or into the ether um right. that's an ongoing practice and question for me absolutely i i think one of the um again one of the interesting things that um that does happen though with with people in recovery is because they do um they, because they are so sensitive it is so easy to get lost right in sort of other people mm -hmm. and other people to get lost sort of with them right yeah. um and in that sense i think mindfulness like we just said so like to be able to distinguish what is your own and what is the other person's right because yeah. i think there's so many there's so many addictions that sort of that really at the core of them are a seeking of connection, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many at the core are a, a um, misfire or a uh, longing for feeling that one matters, feeling that our, that we have consequence, feeling that we are connected somehow right? That, that somehow we are part of something larger. And when we lose that, the addiction comes in order to, again, to sort of to try and, and deal with that. But, um, but it's hard, right? And I guess part of the question is, how do we help people find who they are? Mm. Ooh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, what comes up for me as you say that is I think, um, I think it's quite important to, as a person in recovery, be able to create a sense of reassurance. Like I can reassure myself. I can find ways to 
be okay in myself. And I can seek reassurance and connection in other people, right? It's sort of becoming more aware um, of the tools to create that in myself. And when I'm looking for it in other people versus just operating automatically, you know, like, am I being codependent? Do I have, you know, some interesting attachment situations going on where I'm trying to seek in somebody else um, some answer? Um, Yeah, I think it's perfectly okay to need some comfort and reassurance from others. And it's interesting to be able to just catch on to that way of being. It's like, I need somebody else. I need some drug or some something, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm aware. I mean, I've been sober for over seven years of still having that with sugar, you know. I sort of Mm -hmm. had this interesting up and down relationship, really specifically with chocolate. And I heard somebody Mm -hmm. recently talking about how food is like a mother. And I loved hearing it like that because regardless of our relationships with our mothers, it's like, Food's mm-hmm. giving that kind of nice, warm connection feeling, you know? So me being able to hear that message and kind of get with that has been really helpful in my own um, relationship with sugar. Maybe that's a little bit of a tangent off your question, but it's just an unfolding process, you know, all of our messy humanity, right? I mean, you know, it's... I, I don't know that it's sort of you know kind of sidestepping the question, but I do think that sort of that it comes back to what I said before that even right here you are you're a successful mindfulness you know teacher right you 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 are sober right you're a family you live in the woods and and even in this sort of like space there's still like um, oh chocolate <laughs> right yeah. sort of like so so granted it's not as deadly as <laughs> right as right. heroin or alcohol. But that need of ours to, for it's a big word, but to escape, right? Our need mm-hmm. for us to sort of feel something, right? Whether it is motherly in terms of, of food mm-hmm. or, or, or just the sugar or, or just the, that, that indulgent sense, mm-hmm. right? And maybe even, maybe even for, uh, again, for a thing of a lot of people dealing with addiction, that um, contrarian sense. Right. Sort of like that, that I still need my vice kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Right. I mean, I, my, this is my own bias, but I think it's always interesting if you're engaging any of us, like is engaging in working with a teacher, healer, coach, whoever it is to ask them, what are you working on? Like, I think that we're all working on something, you know, maybe people don't want to share it all the time, but like, Yeah, we can, you know, I feel very grown up from the day I got into recovery, right? Like, I feel like I've done a lot of work and yeah, there's still stuff to do. I can kind of see it, you know, oh, that's interesting. Why am I eating a chocolate bar right now, right? It's like, the, the work takes a long time. And I can be honest about that, you know, it's not like I take my three easy step plan to recovery and in five minutes, you're going to be all better, you know, just doesn't really work that way. Um, And I remember reading Anne Lamott saying one time that um, trying to manage all of your addictions is like trying to put an octopus to bed, which I thought was hilarious because you just imagine like the octopus tentacles popping up. 
But I think it's aspirational to like want to put the octopus to bed also. We don't want to be like, oh yeah, you're never going to get there. But like, you know, permission to be where you are. And that's the thing, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we'll come back to the doctor, the permission to be who you are. Right. And to deal with and to deal with all these aspects of the self. Yeah. There is a, you know, in 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 Eastern traditions, right, there's uh, some uh, thinkers, Lao Tzu, people like who, th- who say, right, uh, in relation to what we we're just talking about, that there is no inner self. Right. Not to annihilate the self, but the sort of who you are is what you do. Mm-hmm. Who you are are the actions you take. Mm-hmm. Um. Here in the West, of course, we keep find, we keep looking for that inner child, right? That inner self, that the 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 inner self that sort of will find its way um, because of some experience or some text or some guru or some right. Um, I guess where do you fall between in, in those? Yeah, this is a good one, you know. Because I think it's both. My answer is going to be both because I think <laughs> the both is, end. right. It is both and such an annoying thing to say, but like where I'm at now is that it's the both. And because I think that um, it's true, like from a Zen perspective, if you turn the light inward, like you can't really find a self. It's like, well, what's the self? It's like a process of thoughts and feelings and, you know, some other sensations, And, you know, really, we're all one. There's no self. But there also is a self. Like, I have an ego. You know, we all do. We all have a persona. And so I think with the the Zen teacher in particular that I study with, it's like, we don't have to make the self a problem. It's there. Now, we might want to refine aspects of the self and also, you know, find those transcendent, find the transcendent where we are just feeling a sense of unity, a sense of oneness. Um, but it does seem to me that there, it's a, it is a both and. So sorry if that's taking mm. the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you know, I, I, I will admit that I am 90% Eastern in that sense and 10% Western, like that. I, I do personally believe that there is no real inner self. I mm-hmm. do believe the sort of that sort of who we are is what we do, mm-hmm. right? I do believe the sort of that how we. I, I often give this give this example that if there, imagine there's a video camera pointed at you twenty four seven, right for a week, but there's no sound, so it's just images, right? Sort of you watch the footage at the end of the week, that's who you are what you do, where you are, who you are with, what you consume, right? So like all the things that you do, right? Because you don't get a chance to be like, but I meant this or right, I wanted <laughs> yeah. to say is this. Actually. Or like, really good inside. Right? inside, I'm really like, like, I didn't mean that, right? Sort of like, right? When there's no sound and who you are is what you do, especially on the escape of a week. I'm not saying like, right, 24 hours because we all have bad days, but I guess we can always also have bad weeks. But, but my point sort of like, generally right is sort of that if we look at ourselves and look at our actions and who we are and how we consume into the world and all that that's who you are right you may want to change that doesn't mean that that is you know a a box that you'll never be able to move away from but you want to examine yourself look at your actions throughout the week right what you told yourself is less important in that aspect 
Yeah, it's like watch the tapes. This is going right. to show you it. It's so interesting. And, you know, totally. And then it's like from that standpoint, you could watch the tapes and still be able to change, right? I think this Absolutely. is the thing is it's it sometimes people come to coaching, you know, and even though they have like an interest in coaching, like, well, I don't really want to change people. Right. Right. Because we're so kind of stuck in yeah. the safety, the comfort, even if we don't love right. everything we're doing. But but it is true that that's so interesting. I'm going to have this visual as my takeaway, imagining watching the tapes. Right. I mean, there used to be an uh, <laughs> there used to be an intervention in uh, in uh, recovery, although right, so like the young people don't really uh, the metaphor is starting to get a little lost, which is play the tape out. Yeah, right. <laughs> People are like, what's a tape? It, <laughs> oh pretty, my god, pretty much. We're like, what do you mean the tape out? I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> but, but, but it's true, right? Like, they, a lot of right, my kids have no no interaction with tapes no, whatsoever no oh my gosh that's so funny yeah my son wouldn't he's 11 he would not know what's the tape he has they never seen one no <laughs> it's true like right like anyway point is i think that um yes i think and i think it's important important for it to not be uh, condemning, right? For for you to say like, okay, this right, this is not condemning, right? This is not you'll always be this or you've always been this. But if you really want to examine, right, this is a good way to sort of to to examine your your, your life, you examine your tape, right? And I, and I think you agree. A lot of people say they want to change, but as we said before, change is change is hard. Change is darkness. Change is pain. Change is you know, it's growing pains. Yeah, you're going to feel uncomfortable, you know. Right. And oh, now I'm as as you're saying this I'm reminded, you know, really often the first step when in coaching is you don't go change anything. It's just right. look at what's happening now, right? The right. more we see how am I operating right now, then the more we're able to bring about a different perspective to change. If you don't see what you're doing. So, uh yeah, if you were to film yourself, you would see, right? So we don't need to jump into right. what's the different action. It's like right. really get clear on how you're operating right now. What right. is that telling and, you? Right. And 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 if we want to use some some recovery language, that's the inventory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be a really painful step to be on. Uh, I mean, it, really absolutely. Look. Right. Absolutely. Step four. So many people get stuck on step four. So yeah. many people get stuck on step four. It's really hard because as we know, it's really hard to look at yourself. Truly. It really is so hard to look at yourself. You know, I think that is one of the fundamental benefits of the 12 steps. It's like when I think about the, my own shame, waking up that day with shame, Doing that inventory, moving through the steps really transforms shame, right? It's like, ah, I can, I can see it. I can liberate it. I remember when I'd first go to meetings and people would be like laughing about their alcoholism and addiction. I'd be like, none of this is funny, you know, and to a degree it's right. not funny, but the laughter kind of indicates people have processed some stuff and have moved through it, you know, have transformed the shame. So how have you transformed the shame, right? As we have sort of the last few minutes, right? How, how do we transform shame? Because so many people carry it, addiction or not. So many of our listeners, right? Shame and guilt, right? Sort of like, right? Sort of like it's so, 
right? Because we talked about the two spectrums, but I feel right. Anxiety, of course, is always a, a fear about what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's always about the future, mm -hmm. right? You don't feel anxiety about what's happening right now. You feel anxiety about what's about to happen, right? Yeah, anticipation, and, yeah. Right, exactly. And shame and guilt is always things that already happened. You can't those, change those either, right? But those feel like you'll be judged based on what happened or you've done, right? So, so we're always is humans kind of stuck in between, right? The shame and the guilt and the anxiety. <laughs> we constantly have yeah. to, right? Um, but how do we transform that shame? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big one. You know, I wouldn't say that I fully eliminated shame, nor do I think we, we need to. You know, there can be an upside to feeling a little shame from the perspective of, you know, we live in collectives, we live in groups, so we can kind of take a look at ourselves. But I would say, how have I transformed my own shame? Did a lot of therapy. I talked through um, just my life story. I got a lot clearer about, um, you know, where my emotions were in my body, how to be with them in mindfulness, how to process them. A lot of that work I did in therapy. And just over the years, I've really cultivated um, friendliness towards myself. I like that word. You know, lots of people will say self-compassion. But if I'm like waking up and having a bad day or, oh, why am I like this? Or, you know, or I really hate myself today. Like just I'm so much more aware when I'm in those stories and in those emotions. Like mm -hmm. I'm in the present moment with them, right? Versus a mm -hmm. kind of running me. And so just through all that therapy, mindfulness work, somatic work, I see it. And I'm like, that's okay. A lot of the time I just reassure myself and I say, it's totally okay. And even giving myself that little message mm -hmm. um, is quite transformative. And of yeah. course, talking to other people. I don't do all of this alone, right? But just being able to touch in with people in recovery or just friends who aren't in recovery, but are supportive mm -hmm. to me, you know, my family. Um, I just feel less alone. Um, and sometimes, you know, some days I'm like, man, I feel inferior today. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you're not inferior to the whole world. Like I just have to kind of also tell myself <laughs> that's just a story. You know, I'm like, it's almost just indulging myself. <laughs> oh, everyone's yeah, yeah, better at everything. And I'm like, calm down. You're fine. I can say that to myself in a loving, but stern way, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit like right when you ran away from the line, you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster than the person behind you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You totally. don't have to outrun the whole group. You just have to outrun one person, um, which is which is both dark and macabre. And I know, and everyone, don't come at me. I get it. It's a joke, <laughs> but like, but like, but I think that's I think that's so true because I think there's so many people who who do indulge in that sometimes, and and right, and, and it happens to me too as well, right? So like when you think like, oh, right they're doing this better than I do or why do I have yes this or or right or like I'm I'm nothing today right so like and and again and to invite it like we said before to be able to in, you know I I invite sometimes my anxieties or my fears because I want to encounter them because I think they are teachers because they're part of my human condition right I don't strive to be somebody with no anxieties and no fears and mm -hmm. you know I I strive to be somebody who can encounter the the rainbow I guess the myriads of my emotions 
Yeah. And just sort of being with it allows it to give you the wisdom it has and potentially move through, you know, and the more we do these types of work, these modalities around healing, I really think then the more we can move through, right. Rather than be Mm -hmm. in like a two month state of I'm in fear. I'm like a two hour state. So that's really me. And I'm like, that's a lot of progress. Right. Progress, not perfection. Right. Right. That's that's the, that's the, right. That's the idea. We have to constantly move. And and like we said, to come back where we started, like that it is, it is cyclical. It will come back. You are human and it's right. And and you have to always move through this. Mm -hmm. Um, fascinating stuff melissa really fascinating stuff i'm I'm really i feel we could talk for hours um final thoughts i think allow yourself to just be on the path that's what comes mm-hmm. up for me you know like we're saying there's no end point or destination mm-hmm. just give yourself permission to be where you are and be curious mm-hmm. about what might be the most helpful thing you could do next, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay. I guess last question. What, um, do you have an example of the, the best moment where your mindfulness helped your recovery? Something people can take with like, you know, this sort of that like, ah, this is without this mindfulness, this moment would have been not mm. as good or a failure or, harder Mm -hmm. yeah you know the thing the visual that's coming up for me is when i lived in toronto i took the streetcar so we had streetcars part of our public transportation i'm having this image of on the streetcar on the way home one night and i could see this pub like like this bar beside me and you know the streetcar kept going my head was like jacked like watching it go by and that was like the most i was probably like did i say this about a year and a half into recovery I was the most like in that moment, probably of all the years, I could just get off the streetcar and go in and drink. And I'd really feel better in this moment. No one would have to know. I was like, no one will have to know. And I could see like, I just, the draw of the building was like, come here, you know? And I just loved the idea of the secrecy. No one has to know, right? right? You know, it's like, right. No one's going to know. But I could really see how my thinking was taking over. I could really feel how all those old emotions were activated, like the emotions of that I wanted to drink over. And I could just feel like I have a choice in this moment. That's coming up for me, you know, because it can be so easy for that to just take over and we just make a different decision, you know. But I could see I'm getting drawn in here. I want to soothe with drinking and I think that's really about mindfulness because it's just, Ah. I knew it was happening in my body and my mind in that moment. I love that. And that's a great place to sort of to end this because I Mm -hmm. think that's so important to to remind people that, right, that it is about choice that, and and mindfulness highlights the choices that we make, right? Because it comes back to sort of our actions, right? So, and, and the more we are able, the better chance we have to make a better choice. Absolutely. You're just always doing the work. I love yeah. that. Thank you. Melissa, thank you so much. For people who wanna who wanna reach you, um, 
how do they find you? They can find me online. My website is www.strongarm.ca. So my last name is Armstrong. The website is strongarm.ca. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for, for this time together. Thank you for so much for, for talking to us. Um, and everybody, uh, you should seek her out and her wisdom. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Rabbi Iger of Chuba Center. This is Tattoos and Torah. See you next week.